0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. We're committed to sparking important conversations about money and inspiring you to always be in the financial front seat. Learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody. It is Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money, and you've been asking for it, and so we are delivering. This week, we're talking about divorce. I know firsthand that it can be a grim subject, but it's an important one for all women to consider whether you are single or engaged or married. because. Women are more likely than men to fare worse financially, both during and after a divorce. And no matter how you may think about your relationships, and I got to say, going into my first marriage, I didn't even think divorce was a possibility. It wasn't even on my radar, and it happened anyway. And so we brought in one of my go-to sources, divorce expert Stacey Francis. Stacy is the president, the CEO of Francis Financial. They are a fee-only boutique wealth management, financial planning, and divorce planning firm dedicated to providing comprehensive advice for high-achieving women and couples in transition. She is also the author of a new white paper. Unveiling the unspoken truth, the financial challenges that women face during and after divorce. And we're going to dig into some of her findings because they're really, really interesting. Stacey, welcome. and thanks for being
2: here. I'm really excited to be here. thank you. and i'm I'm really excited that you're talking about this topic because women divorce and money, it's almost a taboo subject. We just we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it nearly enough.
1: And yet, I think if I asked my listeners, okay, let's ask them, think about your lives. Do you know somebody, if it's not you, and I hope it's not you, who is in the middle of this or you think might be headed for this? And if you don't today, chances are pretty good that you will within the next year or two years. It's Mm -hmm. just important information to have. It's one of those topics I feel like we're much better off talking about when you're not in the middle of a crisis because
2: then you can prepare yourself for whatever comes down the pike. And I have to say divorce, sometimes there are signs. A lot of times they are not signs. Mm -hmm. And getting ready for a divorce and getting on top of your finances, better to know about your money when, like you said, you're not going through this because you're going to be dealing with so many other issues, Yeah, potentially your children dealing with social issues, housing issues. The last thing you want to deal with is figuring out, oh my gosh, where is the checkbook? What do we spend? And, and do we even have any assets?
1: Yeah. I met with a woman this morning on an entirely different topic. And You know how things are. You meet a stranger. All of a sudden, they seem like a friend. And she started telling me about this 32-day custody battle that she went through, 32-day trial. And that was just blew my mind. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Earlier this year, you released this white paper on the financial challenges that women face during and after divorce. Tell me about this paper.
2: Why did you write it? And what did you learn? I will tell you that it was... um something that I have wanted to do for years, but I didn't pluck up the courage because unlike you, I'm not a natural born gifted writer. Um, so this was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And the other reason why I was a little bit hesitant to do it is we wanted to interview a good number of women. And mm-hmm. so we, we interviewed 150 women. It, it took us about a whole year to do that and then compile the findings took another year the reason why I did this is it goes back to my grandmother who is one of the most important people to me she never left her marriage for her divorce was more frightening than staying in an awful abusive marriage and one of the reasons that she stayed the primary reason that she told me was that she felt trapped financially Mm -hmm. So do you know, as you listen to this, and hopefully it's not you who's listening, but feels trapped um, in a marriage, maybe even trapped in a job, trapped in a situation, because you don't know as much as you know you should about finances? I think that's a very,
1: very common scenario. I mean, for a lot of people, for a lot of women, when you ask them what they want from their money— security, safety, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. independence and freedom, right? It's it's the choices that having not just money, but control of that money yep. can give you. And clearly, your grandma
2: didn't feel like she had that. She didn't. And uh, she was, yes, generational, but uh, unfortunately, this paradigm uh, even continues. We're even seeing this paradigm with breadwinning women, mm-hmm. where they might be the ones who are the primary earners, and yet they don't have their thumb, their pulse on the finances, and their husband is taking Care of it, and, and I understand that we all have busy lives. I get the division of labor: you do this, I'll do that. And the natural division of labor in a marriage is that typically one spouse takes over the finances; the other might be the one, you know, doing all the the doctor's appointment visits and and booking. But it needs to be us women to dip our toe in that financial part, too.
1: Well, or the because women are the spenders in the family, and I don't say that in a negative way. It's just that we spend 85% of all the money on groceries and doctor's visits and everything else, um, things sometimes break down into bill payment versus investment. And that's not a good way to segregate either because we need to know how to grow
2: our money as much as we need to know how to spend it. Yeah. And we saw that very much when we asked the women, what was your involvement in everyday bill paying? The majority of the women were very involved. But when we asked about long-term investment decision-making, sitting down and looking at long-term financial planning, the numbers dwindled. So it's not surprising, it shouldn't be surprising to any of us, that women come out of a a divorce feeling really quite frightened about how to invest and how to really do that long-term financial planning that I would say is more important than any other time in their life then. You talk to the women about before, during, and after. You broke it into,
1: these are my concerns before, these are my concerns during the divorce. This is how I felt after I came out or as I was coming through the transaction. I want to talk about it that way. So before the divorce, what
2: was it that women were concerned about in their financial lives? Before the divorce, a lot of women were worried about their husband's spending. Really? A lot of women were worried about that, and it was interesting because AARP did a a study as well to look at how many men were upset about their wives' spending versus the the wives about their husbands. Well, trust me, they both were not happy. I'm sure (laughs) both were not happy. But we
1: get such a bad rap about this. Exactly.
2: So it was interesting. The number of men who complained about their wives' spending was actually uh, significantly lower. It was the women, and we dipped into that a little more deeply because we wanted to know where was this coming from? Yeah. And a good portion came back to exactly what you said, feeling powerless, not feeling like you had control, not feeling like you had freedom. And when we look at the times when women told us they felt most comfortable and financially secure, we were shocked to hear that it was a time when they actually were not married. Really. So when they were when they were divorced or when they were single or so both? both. So we asked them before during, and after. And when you looked at the number of women who said most security when I was married, it was significantly less than the two combined groups of before the marriage and after. So what's that about? I know. What's it about? It goes back to that control, goes back to that freedom, but it also goes back to something that I I love about us being um Women, we are really good at putting together a team. And when we're not, we're not knowledgeable about something. We're also more likely to seek and get help and say, "I don't understand. I don't know if it goes back to men not asking for directions." And and I'm happy to ask for directions. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we find is women are much more likely to get help. And in those situations. Before they got married and and now being on their own as a divorced mom or divorced professional, you're forced to deal with your finances. Right. Whether you like it or not, guess what? You've got to deal with it. And with that, women started to feel more confident. If you think about something something that might be very frightening to you, the more you learn about it, the more comfortable you get. So I don't want to get our entire
1: audience divorced because that, exactly. that is not the object of this. But if you're in a relationship right now, whether you are married, whether you've got a long-term partner, whether you're just embarking on the throes of a new relationship, how can you get those good feelings while you're with a partner?
2: Yes. And I'm right there with you because I am the most happily married woman who loves divorce. Um <laughs> And, and I don't know if that's part of the reason why my husband and I stay together because he might secretly be afraid of me. I'm not sure. But, you know, what I have found with working with happily married couples that have great money relationships and actually even what I'm willing to share about my own life is talking about money. Talking about money is really important. And for my husband and I, uh, we go on money dates. Mm -hmm. And so we'll go out, we'll get a babysitter. And once a month, if you feel like you're really busy, then maybe stretch it to once a quarter. Um, But we sit down and we go over Everything. Where money's going, you know, planning for the summer, what vacation are we going to go. Um, we're actually already planning for Christmas. Are we going to pay for his family or maybe this year we shouldn't do that, put that into savings and then do something a little smaller. We look at the investments. We look at our 401ks. and we have you're, a nice bottle of red wine.
1: See, I, I, you guys should see <laughs> Stacy's face right now because she is really excited talking <laughs> about this financial conversation that she has with her husband. And what strikes me most about this, I mean, you're smiling, like you got a little bit of yeah. a rosy glow on your cheeks, like, a little bit flushed. But what what strikes me is that you're not really talking about money. I mean, you are, I guess, when you sort of yeah. look at the investments and dip into the 401k. But you're talking about travel. You're talking about holidays. You're talking mm-hmm. about family. You're talking about kids. You're talking about life. You're dreaming yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Is that, I mean, I, I kind of hate the words money date. I've used them myself yeah. and I kind of yeah. hate them. But is that what it is? Is it that freewheeling? I mean, I think people don't do this because they feel like it's a ledger and you've got to write it down. <laughs> and here comes the legal pad
2: and Yeah. So we dream. um, We talk about what's important. Um, You know, eight years ago on one of our quote unquote money dates, something that I had always dreamed about was buying a sailboat. Mm -hmm. And it took us six years to be able to save towards it. But that one little, I almost was afraid to ever say, um, I'd love a sailboat because wow, isn't that a big thing to say? Right. But guess what? We made it happen. And We often will even discuss some of those things instead of having a sit-down date because we don't have time. My husband and I will go for a long jog or do exercise, and that's what we'll talk about, of, you know, what should we do for the summer? What do the things look like? And really all it is, all these hopes and dreams it's just then translating them into dollars. Yeah. My husband
1: put it in our wedding vows, actually. He said, someday, a place in Long Beach Island, which is a place that we both love. And it was much the same thing. And you've made it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We're going to come back in a second and talk about women and the amount of wealth that we are going to control and how much of a change that's going to be in the landscape of the country. But before we do that, I just want to remind everybody that her money and conversations like these are brought to you by Fidelity Investments. No matter what stage of life you're in, and that means whether you're single or married or divorced, it is vital. all women to be actively engaged in our finances in our investments before it becomes a necessity so know what you own know what you owe know what your goals are have a financial checkup at least once a year that is being in your financial front seat and you can learn more about all of that at fidelity.com slash front seat. We are talking with divorce expert Stacy Francis of Francis Financial about the white paper that she recently wrote. I read in your paper that women currently control about 51% of the personal wealth in the United States. That's about $14 trillion. But by 2020, we're expected to control 22 trillion dollars. That is a huge shift. I mean, that means Mm -hmm. the majority of wealth is going to be in the hands of women, which I think we've known is coming. What does that mean in terms of the responsibility that you are asking women
2: to step up and take? The responsibility is that um, with this money, you need to make sure that it's working for you. Really important. And a good number of women may not have a, a large amount of wealth, but through transition of uh, inheritance are finding themselves with a lump sum of money. And it can be very frightening. Um, That money might also be very hard for them to accept because it's often through the loss of a a loved one. Mm -hmm. And that is a trauma, just as any trauma of a divorce, too. That is the worst time that you could ever use to now get smart about money. And part of the reason is that there are some people that are happy to tell you what to do with that money. And some of them you can trust. Some of them might be well-meaning relatives or friends that really don't know what they're talking about. And there are others that are not so trustworthy, even though they might seem to be in the area of finance. So
1: you are a financial advisor. I am not. I'm interested in your answer to this question because it's one I get asked every single time I go out
2: and give a speech. How do you find a financial Mm -hmm. advisor you can trust? So my first go-to website is napfa.org. It's N as in Nancy, A as in Apple, P as in Paul, F as in Frank, A as in Apple. Napfa.org is the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. All of the planners that are part of this have to have their certified financial planning designation, which is the most important designation to look for, but also their fee-only They're also fiduciaries, and those are the two Fs that I live my life by. Fee only means you're not going to be sold insurance that you don't need where they're making a commission or this investment over that one because they get a commission. And the fiduciary means that by law, by law, they have to put your interests in front of theirs. And that is also another non-negotiable when you're going to interview advisors.
1: In terms of coming up with a, a list of people that you can talk to besides going to a website is it does it work to ask people you know? Does it work to find colleagues that have, similar financial lives to yours, a a lot of these are the shortcuts that I've heard over
2: time. Exactly. Even like if you think about trying to find a therapist, Mm -hmm. right? What would you do to find a therapist? I would reach out to the people who I really trust and respect their judgment. It's the same thing with finding a financial advisor. And don't just interview one person. Just as you wouldn't Marry someone who he went on one date with, right? Make sure that you interview several people, that you get their ADV and you look them up on FINRA, that you make sure that there's no issues with any violations, that you also really do due diligence on them. Um, make sure that they have a whole team, that you see maybe even some of their work product. Ask to see a sample financial plan. Will you show Why that not? to people? why not? We have sample financial plans that we actually just walked a potential client through today. Because this is not like a, I'm choosing these curtains or those curtains. Although curtains are really expensive. They are expensive. (laughs) But choosing the wrong financial advisor is much more expensive. And you really want to make the investment to go with the right person. And I would just say the final thing. I know I'm going on on this, but trust your gut.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: If your gut does not feel 100% comfortable with someone, listen to it. Because I feel like this is another area where sometimes we don't give our gut as much of uh, credence and credit as we should. Well, and if your
1: gut is telling you that this person isn't right for you, you're not going to be able to have an open, honest conversation with them. And for that reason alone, they're not the right person for you. Exactly. Back to divorce, just a few other questions as I wrap this up. All of this money that women are going to inherit, does that mean a prenup is now a no-brainer?
2: Prenups are no-brainers. They are no-brainers for the majority of people, particularly people where three things that make you know you have to have a prenup. You have children from a previous marriage, number one. Number two, you are bringing a significant amount of assets to the marriage, And then finally, number three, going into this marriage, you see yourself as potentially becoming um, a stay-at-home mom. Why that one? Because you need to protect yourself if you are giving up your career for your partner to go off and have a successful career themselves. You need to make sure that you are compensated because you will be losing long-term not just tens of thousands of dollars, but potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I see far too many women who have been at home for 15 years, lawyers, doctors, that can't get their foot back in the door, are starting off with salaries of 40, maybe $50,000, forced to work because what they're being given from their divorce just nowhere makes up for the challenges that they're going to see financially. Help me avoid that
1: scenario. As women are coming through divorce, what are the costly mistakes that you
2: see us making time and time again? There's a lot, but I'm going to say the number one thing is staying in the primary residence when you know deep down you really can't afford it, even though you think it's the right thing to do for the kids. Please don't do that because your kids will suffer long term because they're going to end up having to take care of you. Number two, you really want to make sure that you're not just trying to get through this very nasty, ugly divorce to the other side as quickly as possible, because I do find some women willing to take a divorce settlement that is paltry, that is awful, that is not even near legally what they're entitled to, just to be able to move on, as difficult a position think long-term because this is a decision that will affect you and your kids your entire life. And then number three, make sure you know what the assets are. And this does go back to being involved in the finances. If you don't know what the assets are, you most likely will not be able to understand what you're entitled to. You may not be able to find all of them. And the cost of hiring an expert to find them for you will be substantially significant.
1: A lot of women are finding this show because they're feeling like that. They're feeling not as involved as maybe they want to be or they mm-hmm. could be or they should be, although we don't judge. If you're just getting started, if you're taking a woman by the hand and helping her just get started, what do you tell her to read? What do you tell her to do?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you have so many wonderful books. So, you know, of course, our I'm not everybody's going to be listening book to that. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. But you know, the first thing to do is to start to open the mail and open up your the credit cards, open up the checking account. Um, I love mint.com. Mm-hmm. It's free for everyone and it aggregates and puts together all your spending so you can start to see that. And then you can even link it with your checking, your savings, your 401k. That's a really great place to start to see everything together. Um, and as far as a good thing to do is also starting to create a community um, us as women we don't talk about money nope. we need to and so, finding other women that are probably worried about the same things you are worried about, and starting that conversation. And it, I find it's best done over cocktails, um, which I know is kind of difficult to find time to do if you're, you know, if you have kids. But um, you're not the only one that feels this way, and that's what our survey told us too. Is that um, as women, we worry about money, yep. and we want to learn. We want to learn how to a little bit more on top of it.
1: I am with you. I think a glass of wine or other cocktail in your hand makes it all the easier. Stacey, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for all the great advice. We look forward to having you back. Oh, thank you so much. Kelly Holtgren, my producer, has joined me in the studio. Um, Kelly, of course, has our millennial perspective. Hello, everyone. So do conversations like that, because I remember years before I got divorced, saying to my cousin, Eileen, who's about eight years older than me, I don't know anybody who's divorced. Mm -hmm. And she said, wait a decade. (laughs) And, you know, I just thought, oh, my God, she's such a pessimist. But in fact, a decade later, I knew a lot of people who had been divorced, including me. And so do conversations like that make you unhappy? Do they make you never want to get married? Like, what (laughs) is it? How does it
0: make you feel at 27? Interestingly, it doesn't make me pessimistic about getting married or having a long-term relationship. It makes me want to be more thoughtful about who I want to have that relationship with. So It goes back to what I think we're also seeing on a much bigger scale, not just in my life, of millennials waiting Mm -hmm. to get married. So delaying that life stage and dating for longer, cohabitating before getting married, and just taking a little more time. That's how it's affected my approach. Elliot and I took a walk
1: in the woods over the weekend, and we were discussing how much money we would have to – or want to bribe our children with to encourage them to not get married until
0: after age 30. Oh, after 30. 30. And so I was talking to someone yesterday, and he was born and raised in New York. He thinks anyone getting married before 30 is way too young. I come from Arizona. Where. I come from West Virginia. So. I went back to
1: my 10th high school reunion, and granted, this was a long time ago, but mm-hmm. there were people with kids,
0: multiple. Yes, by 30. Yes. By th- yes. mid-20s. Exactly. All right. What do we have? We have our first question from Aubrey. She writes, I'm a 24 year old college grad with debt I need to manage. I have about $20,000 in credit card debt that I'm hoping to pay off before I turn 26. Hashtag no debt 2018, she writes. Right now, it's on four different cards, all with varying degrees of interest from 15 to 20%. After living expenses, I am using all of my earnings to pay this down around two to 3000 every month. But I feel like I'm hardly making progress because of the interest. Yep. I know you've mentioned balance transfer offer cards in the past, but I'm afraid I. I won't get a high enough limit on one of those to transfer the whole balance during the intro period. I have a good but not great credit score. Should I take out a personal loan to pay this off or just try to get a balance transfer card with a good promotion and move as much as I can?
1: I'd look at the balance transfer cards first, what we're seeing right now in the marketplace. And let me just say, I love that you've set this out for yourself as a goal, like naming it as a goal, benchmarking your way there. That is exactly how to succeed. So that's really, really good. We're seeing really great balance transfer offers right now. Chase Slate is the best one that I've seen because it doesn't have a balance transfer fee and it allows you to have the 0% interest rate for 15 months. There are others that have a longer 0% interest rate, about 18 months But there is a 3% balance transfer fee, so you have to take that into consideration and try to bingo it off. I'd see if I can get the 0% card, see how much it will allow you to transfer. You can always get a second 0% card and transfer some of the money there and then work both cards simultaneously to try to get out from under this debt and just be conscious of the fact that if you're going to be doing it Largely in the next couple of years, you will make the greatest headway while you're still under the 0% mark. But once that teaser goes away, interest rates typically go way up.
0: Good luck, Aubrey. Hashtag no debt 2018. I love it. Next one from Diane. I would really appreciate it if you would talk about what are good investments for people in their 70s. Okay,
1: I will talk about what are good investments for people in a their question, 70s,
0: but we'll use it as one. We don't we
1: don't often get what are good investments for people in no. their 70s. So, when you're in your 70s, you could potentially live another 30 years, maybe more. And that means that you need to have some growth in your portfolio. You know, we used to say that once you got up to your 70s, everything should be in a safe haven. But then, again, when people used to say that, interest rates were really high and you could put your money in a CD and you could know that you would do well enough. That's not true anymore. Today you put your money in a CD and Your money is going to lose money, in most cases, after taxes and inflation. I'd look at a couple of things. I'd look at trying to cover your fixed costs with a guaranteed stream of income. And I like to do this using some form of very simple annuity. You could take a chunk of your retirement stash and convert it into essentially a paycheck that would cover what you know to be your expenses that you're going to be able to count on year in, year out, the Medicare premiums, the cost of your housing, the cost of your transportation, the unreimbursed medical expenses, eating, those sorts of things. And knowing that you've got that covered, then you can invest the rest of the money and put it into a portfolio where there's a little more risk, maybe 60% safety, 40% stocks, and know that you've got some growth. And if you've got a sizable chunk of money, this is a really good time to talk to a financial advisor about putting together a methodology for you that could make sense
0: for the next 30 years. We need to talk about investment advice for People in their seventies more. We do with longevity rates increasing, and the fact that there's a really good chance that I'm even living until a hundred at the very least. At least, at I least, mean, least you- like I. I've always thought too, like it just has, I'd have to change the entire way I'm looking at retirement or later in life. Yeah.
1: And I think it means a lot of different things for people. If we're going to live until 100, 110, we're not going to stop working at 65. Right? What
0: would we do for all those years? I would be so (sighs) bored. I'd be so bored too. And I'm farther away from it. I can't even imagine it. I know. So. Thank you very, very much for the question. Yes, Love it. Diane. And we'll do one more from Vicki. Can you help me think through priorities for my money? Should I be contributing more money to my 401k, more aggressively paying off student loans, or saving for a down payment on a house? I have a three-month emergency fund. I'm contributing 10% of my salary to my 401k and getting a full match. And I have about 37000 in student loan debt. I'm on an income-based repayment plan, no credit card debt, nor a car payment.
1: Hmm. Okay, so you took the first—I would have jumped right on that <laughs> 401k match, as Kelly knows. Like When we talk about priorities, we generally talk about the return on our money, how much we're going to get back for what we're investing. The return on your money— when you make a contribution to a 401k where there's a match is above and beyond what you're going to get even from paying off high interest rate credit card debt in most cases. So that's always the first item on our list. If you have a health savings account at work, you didn't mention that, but if you have one and there's an incentive for contributing there, I might look at that. As far as the down payment for a house versus supercharging the student loan payments, I'd go for the house. Curveball. You're surprised. I'm a little surprised. No, here's why. You're making income-based repayments. You're not behind on your payments. You might want to pay a little more to get yourself on a 10-year time frame so that you know you'll be out. But I am reading, just like you are reading, so many stories of people who are delaying life in order to get ahead of these student loans and get out from under these student loans, that it's making them unhappy and it's worrisome. And I'd rather see if if owning a home is a priority for you, I look at paying down a mortgage as a supplemental savings account for retirement. I don't think you can necessarily count on the fact that this real estate you buy is going to skyrocket in value. Generally, it is kept pace with inflation, no more, no less. But paying off a mortgage, if you can do it, means you have this big pool of cash that you can use for whatever you want, whenever you want it. And I like that, too. So I'd go for the house. Thank you so much, Vicki. Let us know what you decide to do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Vicki. And in today's Thrive segment, inspired by our earlier conversation with Stacey Francis, I want to take a deeper dive into something that can certainly lead to divorce, financial infidelity. If you've got a secret credit card in your wallet or a hidden bank account that your live-in significant other or partner or spouse knows nothing about, then you— And by the way, an estimated 12 million other Americans are financially cheating, according to the results of a new creditcard.com survey. If that is you or you suspect it's happening to you, here's what you need to do. First, focus on the problem, not the symptom. If a secret account rears its head in your relationship, whether it's yours, whether it's your partner's, shutting it down may seem like the right move, but it doesn't address the underlying problem, which is why was this account secret in the first place. The precursor to secrets is often secret resentment or shame. Try to figure out exactly what's going on. And then, like Stacy said, start scheduling time to talk about money. You don't have to call it a money date if you don't want to. It's just that honest communication about money is easier said than done, particularly if you've been hiding things in the past. So schedule some time to talk. Write it down, put it in your calendar, and don't back out. Go over your budget, see if there's anything you need to update or change, and take a little bit of time to dream about what you both want in the future. That's the romance in money, and you can't find it if you don't give yourselves an opportunity. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Stacy for a great conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd also like to encourage you to join our group, the Her Money Facebook group. You'll find us, yes, on Facebook. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week when we'll be back with Lori Burroughs-Grad, who's written a wonderful book about widowhood. We'll talk soon.